What went wrong? If God created this wonderful, glorious world for humans to flourish and participate in his kingdom, for humans to flourish and find their place as beloved children in his family, what went wrong? This is Warrior Podcast, changing the world by introducing warriors to the warrior God. I'm your host, Elizabeth Andrade, here with Connor Shanahan. So the past few weeks on Warrior Podcast, we have started a new series called The Story of the Bible. We've been going through the beginning of the Bible, learning what is the story of the Bible. Connor, would you like to take us through that one more time? Yeah, I mean, we're going to do it over and over again. And hopefully you, Warrior, at this point, could go ahead and press pause and rehearse the story of the Bible. Your homework assignment is to have this memorized. Facts. By the end of the series. And if you don't, we'll be so disappointed. But we'll still love you. And we'll still show you grace. And so will the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Amen. However, we do hope that by this point you can recite it. And I do think it's good practice, honestly. Jokes aside, press pause and see if you can recite the story of the Bible right now. I think that'd be a good exercise for you. Once you come back, which is now, come back. We're here for you. And uh, this is the significance of what we're talking about. We believe and we are convinced from the scriptures that the scriptures themselves tell one unified story of a God who redeems and reconciles all things unto himself for his glory. And uh, that practically plays out through, first, through creation, that our God created a wonderful, glorious world for humans to flourish in his presence. However, humans disobeyed God. They, they went outside the boundaries that he had set for their flourishing. And this disobedience brought forth sin into the world. Sin fractures everything. Our relationship with God, our relationships with each other, and somehow fractures the creation itself. However, even though humans rebelled God, he is so gracious and kind and merciful and loving and present that he chose not to let them die in their sin. That God promised to one day send a hero, a Messiah, to rescue mankind, to lead them back into the promised land and to reign and rule over them forever in perfect peace. The entire Old Testament is is the playing out of this promise, this broken anticipation where uh, heroes will rise and, the, and, the, and God's people will say, this is it, this is the one, this is the hero who will save us. And yet that person fails because mankind has a terribly difficult time fulfilling God's promises, fulfilling God's covenant. And we are left at the end of the Old Testament with this broken anticipation, wondering, hoping, if only someone could fulfill God's promises in our place. The New Testament opens with the arrival of King Jesus, who does this very thing. He fulfills God's promises. He fulfills God's covenant. And he takes our place by, through his perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus Christ takes the judgment that we rightfully deserve for our sin onto himself so that we don't have to pay the price. He ascends to heaven to the right hand of God, ruling and reigning over all things, and offers us eternal life. That if we would simply believe in the victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we might be saved. If we believe in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that we might be saved and spend eternity with him as he does promise to one day return and restore all things to its original paradise design. What a great story. What a grand redemptive story. The past couple of episodes, we have been in the creation part of the story of the Bible. Today, we're moving on to a maybe not so fun part to talk about, which is the fall. It's the unfortunate reality of where we find our lives playing out. Throughout many branches of the military is a commonly used phrase, often used to signify uh, difficult training environments, or deployments, and used as a as a ironic encouragement to uh, spur the troop forward to keep moving. And that phrase is simply this: "Embrace the suck." And that is our slogan. That's where we are today for Genesis chapter three. We're gonna embrace the suck. 
We're going to explain it. We're going to dig around in it. And we're going to see where our hope might lie. If there is any, spoiler alert, there's definitely hope. It's all going to be okay. So Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to be for the day as we examine what went wrong. If God created this wonderful, glorious world for humans to flourish and participate in his kingdom, for humans to flourish and find their place as beloved children in his family, what went wrong? So here's the story of the fall. This is Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 17. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the fruit that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Well, that's uh, pretty heavy. Sobering, yes. right? It is. The first common misunderstanding from this narrative is that we uh, often call it the rebellion, right? Mm -hmm. The rebellion of mankind against God. It might sound like a like a small distinction, but scripture doesn't really paint this in, in view of a rebellion. The language used here is more of disobedience, which I think is important because it almost shows, I think it does actually point to the invitation of God that we covered in, in Genesis 1. This points to the invitation of God to find flourishing in his presence. That God has, as a God who has always enjoyed participation, invites mankind to participate in God's redemptive work and plan in the world, to cultivate the garden, to make the rest of the world look like the Garden of Eden, and to know and enjoy God. And yet, mankind refused to do that and disobeyed. And there's there's themes throughout Genesis, and, and particularly throughout this creation narrative of obedience and wisdom, and the way of wisdom and the way of flourishing are very married ideas that, that God has invited mankind to follow the path to flourishing, follow the path to wisdom, which leads to joy, which leads to knowing and loving and savoring the presence of God. And so that's something that we still see is true today, that, that the invitation of God is to 
commit to the path of flourishing, commit to the path of wisdom in order to know God, in order to obey God. And out of that comes joy. That may be just one thing that that is might seem insignificant, but was was huge for me in just driving at this point of joy that wisdom, flourishing, and obedience are all closely related and they all lead to joy. And so when we see like this boundary here, what, what really happens in this narrative is mankind goes outside of the boundary that God had set for them. Right? Right. We see God say, Hey, don't eat from this specific tree. And mankind says, Okay, all I'll right, do it. I will do it. Just like any child, right? You tell a child not to do something, what do they do? 30 seconds later. They do it. They do it. And that's exactly what what mankind does here. So why did God set that boundary? For their flourishing. For their flourishing, for their good, for their safety. Just like a good parent tells their child, hey, you can play in the living room, but don't put your hand on the kitchen stove because that's not going to go well for you. Don't put that utensil in the outlet. That's not going to go well for you. Hey, you can play outside in our backyard, but don't go into the street because that's not going to go well for you. Outside the bounds of flourishing. It's outside the bounds of flourishing. It's outside the path to joy. So when God gives rules in scripture, this is a wildly significant point, that when God gives rules in scripture, it's not because he's angry. It's not because he's trying to steal joy from you. It's because he's trying to guide you along the path of wisdom, the path of obedience, the path of flourishing. And that path leads to joy. So the invitation of God is to find joy in his presence because he has designed the world. He knows the best way for all things to work. And he invites us to submit our lives to his design. And in there is an immense invitation of joy. So let's take a deeper look into what happened here. What went wrong? Um, I see the serpent and maybe we should clarify the serpent is the devil. We should clarify that. And let me just say quickly, we know that. Because in Revelation chapter 20, again, one of our one of our guiding convictions here, I hope we've made this clear. If not, here we go. Here we go. Let scripture interpret scripture. When there's a question about a specific text or verse, the first place you should go is the Bible. Look at other places in the Bible and see if there is clarity provided by the Holy Spirit through the authors of scripture. And in this case, there is. In Revelation chapter 20, we see the devil, the Satan, the adversary referred to as that ancient serpent. In Genesis chapter 3. Exactly, is where we see the serpent uh, from old, which is here in Genesis chapter 3, the the ancient serpent. So that serpent, who was Satan, visits Eve in the garden and says to her, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And we want to be honest, man, there's some mystery here. How did Satan arrive in the garden? How did he arrive in the garden? How did his fall come about? Like, there's a lot of questions here, and we would refer you back to the creation episode where we said, there's a lot of mystery. <laughs> there is a lot of beautiful, glorious mystery, and, and in there is an invitation to press deep, an invitation to bring your doubts to the table, an invitation to find answers in, in the Word of God and also find comfort in the presence of God, knowing that He's trustworthy even when we don't know the answers. So first and foremost, man, there's, there's some mystery there. Secondly, there's also a lot of clarity. This is the primary attack of the enemy on the believer's life. Did God really say? Satan's primary attack against you, listening to this, warrior, is not to throw a javelin at your back when you least expect it. It's not to wage warfare against you in an obvious manner. Satan's primary strategy in warfare is to attempt to introduce doubt into your mind, even the slightest doubt, to question God's word, to question the nature and character of God, to to question God's goodness. Satan's primary objective is to lie. 
And that's why Jesus calls him the father of lies in in his gospels. Yeah, I see a lie here. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? No, he didn't. I mean, God said that you you can eat from any tree but this one. Yeah, and yet we see Satan try to paint that as a restricted, like, is your God so restrictive that he won't let you eat from any tree? And he said you can't have any fun. Right. He said you can't have any fun. He said you can't. He won't provide for you. He won't give you sustenance. Isn't that the biggest misconception of the Christian life, though, is that the Christian life is boring? Yes. It's one of them, if not the biggest, that our God is a God of rules, ancient, boring rules that, that we just have to obey. And that couldn't be further from the truth. But that is the lie of the devil. That is what he wants you to believe, that our God is so restrictive that he gives you these rules. When the reality is, as, as we've just spent some time covering, the rules exist for your joy. After all this time, he hasn't changed his methods. He has not changed his methods. And that is wildly significant for you to understand. And also the importance of things like this podcast, the importance of things like gathering together in your local church and discussing the word of God, encouraging each other with the word of God, educating yourself on what the word of God says so that you might know God's voice, so that you might know God's truth, so that you might, to the best of your ability, surrounded by community and by the power of the Holy Spirit, protect yourself from the lies of the enemy. Well, Eve does a good job at first. She does correct him. She does correct him. And I want to I want to point out something about that correction, though. If you look back with me at uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, okay? In verse okay. 15, we see God creates man, creates Adam, placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And then God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on that day you eat from it, you will certainly die. So I want to again highlight the need for the boundary there. God is not saying, hey, if you eat from this fruit, I'll be mad because I like creating rules and I just want you to obey me. No, he's saying, if you eat from this tree, you're going to die. And I want you to live. I want you to have joy. I want you to thrive and flourish in my presence. So don't eat from this tree. And yet when Eve responds to the serpent in verse three, she says, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it Hmm. or you will die. Not what God said. That's not what God said. And so I think this actually shows the failure of Adam. Ooh. The failure of Adam, because we see Adam's task given to him in verse 15 of chapter 2. The Lord God took the man, placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. Hmm. Adam did a terrible job of watching over the garden. He's over there playing football. He's over there playing football. He's watching football on the couch. And he's saying, Hey, honey, there's a snake. Why don't you go take care of that for us? Why don't you go see what he wants? <laughs> um, but we do see this. And, and I think that that's another lie that we want to address that gets told about this narrative is that the fall is all Eve's fault, right? Yeah, that's what we hear. I mean, she was the one who ate the apple. It seems it seems obvious to say that, but that's not exactly what happened. That's not what happens. And again, we want to refer to our, our, our rule here that we're not trademarking, but we would if we could. Let scripture interpret scripture. And hashtag. Hashtag let scripture interpret scripture. Something like that. Someone come up with a, with a crafty hashtag and let us know. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is is expounding on the gospel, dropping some truth bombs. And in Romans 5, verse 12 is what I'm referring to. He says, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And he goes on to say that, to make this, this analogy, that though sin came through the world through one man, so eternal life comes through one man in Jesus Christ. But the first man that he's referring to is Adam. And so according to the apostle Paul, sin entered the world through Adam. Even though it was Eve who ate the apple first. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. And in the reality of this is that it was Adam's job to watch over the garden, to keep the garden. 
to watch over the garden and to keep the garden. And so first and foremost, to stand by idly, passively, as the serpent enters the garden is the first failure. And we also see that, that I mean, this, this might be a stretch to be honest with you, but I think we see it in the text. Adam did not communicate God's word to Eve accurately because she was under the impression that, that she couldn't eat or touch the fruit. Right. Yeah. And that's not what God said. And let me make a joke for a second. Like if, if you are, if you're given an order by a commander, right? Let's military wise, let's say you're given an order from your Lieutenant and he says, Hey, don't eat this fruit. What are you going to tell the guys under you? The enlisted guys. Don't go near it. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Don't go near it. Don't even look at it. Don't touch it. Right. And so maybe we have no idea. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe not. But I do think it's significant that we see that added in scripture. I think that every word in scripture is significant. And so we see, see the failure of Adam twofold. One, to stand by idly as the serpent enters the garden because his job was to watch over it. And two, his failure to cultivate a love and knowledge of God and, and an understanding of his word and his wife. So let me challenge you, warrior, if you are a man listening to this, you probably think that your greatest struggle in life is lust or pride. I would guess lust. I don't know, but I will tell you that the reality of the matter is that the biggest struggle in your life is passivity. Whether you realize it or not, the biggest struggle in your life and of your life, whether you are a man or whether you know a man, the biggest struggle in a man's life is laziness and passivity. It's not lust or pornography. Those things are birthed out of passivity. Those things are birthed out of a lack of resolve to commit to the way of flourishing, to commit to the way of obedience and wisdom. Lust is birthed out of a lazy, passive man. And uh, we see this in Adam, that his passivity gave way to sin, period. And so I think that this is an objective truth for men today, that, that your biggest struggle in life is laziness and passivity. And your biggest challenge, your need for community and your need for the Spirit of God to do a transformative work in and through your life is to eliminate and wage warfare against passivity. And Connor, just to add to your point of passivity, I'm going to go ahead and and maybe read verse six, because I think in verse six, I see that the passivity of Adam becomes even more plainly obvious. Yes. See if you can see what I'm going at here. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. He was with her. He was there the whole time watching this whole thing happen. Instead of watching over the garden, instead of protecting the garden, instead of being God's ambassador and representative as his image bearer in the garden, Adam was passive. He was lazy. And he allowed this whole ordeal to play out. He allowed the serpent to tempt his wife, to corrupt his wife. And uh, in some sense, Adam chose Eve over God. Because if Eve took the fruit first and ate from it, Adam then had a decision. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is bad. She just did what we were not supposed to do. I could become bad like her and choose her, and no matter what happens to the both of us, it's me and her in this together, or I can remain faithful to the Lord. And while it might sound like a dumb Jerry Maguire movie for you to choose the fruit and be with your girl, that's the wrong choice, right? You should have protected her in the first place, Adam. But in that sense as well, he chose Eve. He chose death with Eve over life eternal joy with the holy, holy, holy triune God. That's a much different pick because like when you think about the children's movies or whatever, you always see like Eve is by herself with the serpent, but that's not really what was going on in, in there. That's what the text says. Yeah. Adam is there. Yeah. He was watching it happen and he did nothing. Super interesting. So men, get off the couch. Do yeah. something. 
Because as soon as he ate it, then both of their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked. Correct. The serpent had won, in a sense. He had he had tempted them. He had caused them to disobey the holy, holy, holy God. So what were the effects of this? So we see some of the unfortunate, immediate, and negative effects of this act, of this act of disobedience, which we are going to refer to as the fall. And I hope that makes sense. It's simply kind of the fall from grace, Adam and Eve falling, failing. We just we just refer to it as the fall. Yeah. Now in verse 14, we see the first effect of the fall is God uh, cursing the serpent. That God, and listen, we are going to get to the hope, particularly in, in our next episode of Warrior Podcast, we're going di- to take a deep dive into this same chapter, but look at it through the lens of hope. So stay with us. And let me give you a little teaser here that there is immense hope that in verse 13, The Lord approaches the humans and asks the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And God, instead of condemning his daughter, immediately condemns the serpent. And there is immense grace and mercy in there. There is God rightly, justly, graciously defending his daughter by attacking the accuser instead of condemning her first. And we're going to get there, but that's a little teaser. That's a little teaser of hope. We do see that God pronounced judgment on the serpent. We see in verse 15, in my opinion, the most significant verse in all of scripture, Genesis 3.15. And again, next episode, come back for us next Thursday. Tune in for the episode of hope on that, the hope that we have even in the midst of difficult times, even in the fall. We see that God curses the serpent and promises a hero to come. A hero from the offspring of Eve that will strike the head, that will destroy the serpent, destroy evil forever. And then God moves into 16 and he provides judgment for the woman. Now, significant to note here before we move on is that God doesn't actually curse the woman. God doesn't curse Eve, nor does God curse Adam. God doesn't curse his children. Mm -hmm. God pronounces judgment for them and, and provides clarity as to the consequences of their actions. Because, God because they must be held responsible for their actions. They incurred it unto themselves. They, they chose to disobey the holy God. But God doesn't curse them. Now, I got to be honest, Elizabeth, my wife Madeline is pregnant. I don't even want to think about verse 16 <laughs> at this moment in time. We're I'm about, sure she doesn't want to think about it she either. She does not. We're only about halfway through. This is our first child. So I'm going to toss that one your way. Why don't you explain uh, the judgment or the consequences of Eve, Eve's actions in verse 16? Well, in verse 16, um, the consequences of Eve's actions are that uh, she will have, well, all women will have painful childbirth, very severe and painful labor when they give birth to children. I'm sorry, Madeline, if you're listening to this, I apologize. <laughs> In advance. I'll be there by your side. It's going to be okay. It's the effects of the fall. It is the effects of the fall. And yet, as as we brought up, it's significant to note, though, that God doesn't curse woman. That the childbirthing process is not God punishing you. It's not God being angry with you. It's not God cursing you. It is, it is an unfortunate side effect of the fall, but it's not a curse. It's a blessing. And through that process of childbirth, God ordained that process from Eve throughout all of redemptive history to lead up uh, and use that process to bring Jesus Christ into this world. That the Son of God became incarnate, was born of the Virgin Mary, and uh, that was the greatest blessing that mankind ever experienced. So I want to be clear that, 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 that birth in and of itself is not a curse. Painful labor in and of itself is not, is not God cursing women. It's not something women have to be afraid of. It's not something that should cause women to doubt the nature and character of God. I should have prepped the Hebrew on this one, but I'm going to, I'm going to let the CSB translators take the heat in this, in the Christian standard Bible in verse 16, God says to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. 
as if to say there is already some aspect of labor that is painful. I don't know if that's true, but I think that's a fascinating point to consider. And I think regardless of, of uh, where you land on that, the point needs to be made that that child bearing is not a process that women should feel judged or cursed. It's a beautiful process that the Lord redeems and the Lord uses that means to bring about the Son of God made incarnate in Jesus Christ to redeem and restore all things. So what happens to Adam then? And then Adam Adam also has to uh, receive the judgment for his actions. Uh, for the Lord to prove holy, to prove righteous and just, must judge sin. But note also in 17, verse 17 of Genesis 3, uh, that God curses the ground. He doesn't curse Adam. He doesn't curse Adam. Again, God doesn't curse his children here in the creation narrative. That God curses the ground and, and pronounces to Adam that he will work hard all the days of his life, that his toil will be difficult. Again, this idea of passivity, right? That, that because of his passivity, he will be forced to work even harder. His labor will be all the more laborsome, that it will be difficult, that uh, the labor will produce thorns and thistles for the land and, and creation will produce thorns and thistles for you. This is verse 18. Verse 19, you will eat bread by the sweat of your brow. Again, this work is difficult. It's laborsome until you return to the ground since you were taken from it for you are dust and you will return to dust in that is the sentence to death death but again a little glimmer of hope is that god said that once they ate from the fruit they would die and yet he spared them from death he didn't immediately kill them once they ate the fruit so we see hints and 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 signs of god's grace and mercy throughout this narrative even in a sobering difficult narrative through which sin is introduced into the cosmos so just, just to reiterate this point that, that God cursed the ground, that he didn't curse Adam. That in and of itself is a gracious act, but I think that also speaks to the depth and the severity of the fall. That somehow the ground, somehow the earth, somehow the created order doesn't work the way that it's supposed to because of the fall. And I think we see in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul pick up on this theme. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 19, he says this, for the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. So we see that somehow from this narrative, from Genesis chapter 3, from the fall, from the introduction of sin into the cosmos, all things are fractured. That somehow the creation itself, the created order itself is fractured. Somehow the created order longs for redemption. It's broken. The world, the universe, the cosmos groans with anticipation, waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to make all things right. I think that so often just in our casual talk about the fall and our casual talk about life, we underestimate its effects. The effects are pretty great. They are, they are horribly great. They are catastrophic. That all things, all things in the created order groan. That includes you, that includes me, that our souls in some sense are groaning and longing for redemption. That we can feel, even those of you and those of you, your friends and family members who, who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, there is something in you that, that groans and longs for anticipation. 
There's something in you that feels the suck of this world, that feels the the effects of the fall and, and wishes that something were different. And that's why we seek so many things. We seek satisfaction. We seek joy. We seek to be made complete. We seek to be made whole and so many things that never satisfy us because the fall is so horribly widespread. It's so, the fracture is so deep. And I think that all of us are, are born um, under this curse, that's what scripture would say. The apostle Paul would detail this clearly throughout all of his letters, particularly in his letters to the church at Rome, that all of us are born into this fractured state, that none of us are born as perfect human beings and all of us are born into this fractured state as sinful beings, that somehow all of creation is now fractured. So even the way that our brains are supposed to work is somehow fractured. The way that our bodies are supposed to work is somehow fractured. The way that the creation itself, nature, the way that things work is somehow fractured. Nothing is the way that it's supposed to be because of the fall. With this unfortunate reality, um, we know that this episode will be released on September 10th, Lord willing, which allows us the unique opportunity to reflect upon a tragic example of the effects of the fall. On September 11th, 2001, terrorists orchestrated the most horrific attack on American soil ever. We want to take a moment and uh, first and foremost, thank you, warrior, for standing bravely on the front lines. We remember we remember the atrocities of that day. We remember the heroic actions taken by firefighters, police officers, federal law enforcement, emergency service personnel, by our United States military in the days and years following, even up to today. We remember and we see you and we honor you. And we thank you for your service to this country. We thank you for your service for freedom and for good. We thank you for the fight that you have volunteered to take against evil. And that is your role. That though this world is broken, though the fall has fractured everything, the fall has fractured things to the point where human beings can be so corrupt and so evil that they would kill thousands of innocent civilians. The Lord has also entrusted human beings, per Romans 13, to act as avengers to act as warriors, as heroes, to defend and restrain evil in the world. And that is your role, warrior, to defend and restrain evil in the world. And so while we, we remember this tragic day of September 11, 2001, we honor you, warrior, and we thank you for taking your part in God's redemptive plan to make all things right and to re restrain and defend against evil in the world. Amen. Connor, could you lead us in prayer for all the brave men and women who have served in this way? Absolutely. To you, Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you that although this world is broken, we have hope in you. We have hope in redemption, in restoration, knowing that you will return to restore all things to its original paradise design, the design that you created all things to, to flourish within. Lord, we thank you that in, in the now, in the here and now, that you have equipped brave men and women to um, serve as avengers, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 13, to restrain and defend against evil in this world. I thank you for those who so bravely responded on September 11, 2001, 
to those who responded by uh, enlisting and commissioning into the United States military, to those who responded by going to war to defend against, to fight against, and restrain evil in the world. We would like to pray for the families of those who lost loved ones on 9-11, that you would comfort them. Lord, that you would reveal your special care and concern for the brokenhearted. As the psalmist details in, in Psalm 34, verse 18, you are near to the brokenhearted. So bless them, minister to them, and to the warriors out there right now hearing this, to the warriors serving on the front lines, to warriors everywhere who are fighting for good, who are fighting to restrain and defend evil, and who are seeking to do what is right and just. We pray that you would bless them, that you would minister to them. And most importantly, God, that you would reveal to them Reveal to them your goodness, your grace, and your love that is on offer for all to accept in order to be redeemed and restored unto you for your glory. We pray all these things through the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So we're, we're in a pretty ugly place right now in the story of the Bible. Um, but next week, we have hope. Next week's episode will be all about the promised one coming. We do. And let, maybe just let me say a quick yeah. word on that is, is this is the story of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And we think that the story of the Bible permeates to all aspects of life. So in the story of the Bible, we have we have a good, good flourishing world. And then we have this fall that we've just spent the last however long talking about. Yet even in the midst of the fall, even in the midst of the worst thing to ever happen in redemptive history, there's still hope. Yeah. And so just perhaps pastorally to you, warrior, no matter what you might be going through. I mean, we are recording this in 2020, which has just been a brutal year. A wild year. A wild year period. We know that so many of you are facing difficult circumstances. We know that so many of you are facing trials and difficult times. And uh, allow us simply to, to encourage you to say that no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your year has looked like, no matter what your week has looked like, no matter what this day has looked like for you, there's hope. No matter how broken you feel, no matter how difficult your life gets, there is hope because our God is alive. So please, please, please join us next week as we detail the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to us. If you want to trust in Christ, or if you want to learn more about making Him the authority over your life, or if you want to learn more about us, send us a message on our Instagram at WGMHQ. That's WGMHQ. We will make sure that someone gets in touch with you. This has been Warrior Podcast with Connor Shanahan. Warrior God Ministries' mission is to change the world by making disciples among military members and first responders and equipping them to be disciple makers and missionaries in their respective communities for the glory of Jesus Christ.